I don't like being pigeonholed. <laughs> if I was like, okay, I have free time. I'm going to do some more stuff. <laughs> So, Sage Sale, Perimeter Fires podcast, the first green pot on the Perimeter Fires podcast, I should point out. Ooh, okay. Yes. Um, so, we should start, I think, I think, by way of introduction of Sage, we could start by me telling you, did I ever tell you? The situation that you caused? I don't think so. <laughs> you caused a situation. And it was yeah. apparently serious. Like it was a serious, important situation. Because I, I get a phone call about it. Okay. And it's uh, Iranya. Um, not Juan Iranya, his brother, who was the yellow pot. Mm-hmm. He calls and he says, Dion, we, we have we have a situation and I wanted to run it by you and get your thoughts on it. And I was like, okay, what's the deal? He says, it's about Sage. And I said, okay, what's what what is it? Is everything okay? And they're like, he's like, yeah. We think we want to give her a load shirt. And I was like, okay, okay. Do they not make her size? Like, what's the problem? And he goes, well, we just wanted to, you know, we wanted to, is that, you know, we, we were just wondering if that was okay. Because (laughs) (laughs) they're, they're just being, you know, they're, they're, what is old army going to think? Cause. Which is a fair question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, never before has uh, a female gotten a load shirt. And so, okay. I said, well, okay. If I'm representing the old guys here, if that's why you're asking me, I said, the first thing they would say is why do you care what we think? Cause you know, you're the uh, chiefs, but also thank you for asking. But the second thing is, is did she earn it? And he was like, oh uh, yeah. And I, I know you did cause I was there for it all. I was like, well, then, cool. I don't think anybody would complain. And if they did complain, it's not their business. So, <laughs> so that, that to me was like, that was, that was the sage sale experience in a moment. Like mm-hmm. you came in and did some crazy stuff, like, <laughs> like load every day, just, you change the game for so many different things. And so that's, as Sage in a nutshell, the situations you cause are people going, oh, damn, she's good. Is that, is it, we just wanted you to know. <laughs> How do we handle it? What do we do? <laughs> Which is crazy. I had no, I don't know. I didn't think it was that big of a deal at the time. Um, anything that I did, I mean, it was just part of helping out who was around and doing the jobs. I saw a job that I thought was fun and cool and I wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to do it and I did it and, I didn't 
think of it, I guess, as that big of a deal at the time. Um, but looking back on it and from what other people have said about it, like I can definitely see where I could have caused some situations. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course I'm joking for everybody out there. Like it wasn't right. a huge deal. It's, it's one of those things. It's funny that the, the, the current students were the things that they, you know, cause they want to respect the past. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, but it was again, though, it was significant enough that he was like, this has never been encountered before. What do we do? Uh, but it was no, it was it was very motivating. And I mean, it wasn't just there. One of my favorite photos. One of my favorite photos. Oh, shoot. I should have even thought I should have thought to pull this up before we even started. Do you, do you remember a photo with you and Clack? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And, do you know exactly which one I'm talking about? With me and Clack Attack. Uh, are you talking about the one where we were at Perimeter? Mm-mm, the one where y'all were, it was, I think it was dorm log, dress log cut. I think that's what it was. But there's the two of you. Mm-hmm. Y'all are together in the core woods and you didn't just load, right? Like you went everywhere and did everything. And you went to the core woods pretty regularly and cut with them. And they had a big ass tree and I'm pulling this up right now. You had a, they were cutting down this big ass tree and they were asking who wanted to go next. And then you were standing next to clack and raising your hand. And, <laughs> and, it, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like, when you see the photo, mm-hmm. you and I know Clack. Mm-hmm. We know Gary. We we know the expression that I happen to catch on his face is <laughs> is probably not fair. You know, <laughs> it's it's not fair to Gary. <laughs> he just because of you know, it's just he was wiping his head at the time or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there, there was nothing, no intentions behind it, but the expression on his face was very much like, <laughs> are we really going to let you do that? Like what the hell you, really what you do that? <laughs> and, and we know Gary, that's not how he is at all, but no. <laughs> it was just, it was just so funny. And I, I know. Well, and also, I I didn't really get, I didn't really get to know Gary super, super well until um, we were actually building that year. So at that point, he also didn't really know me that well. So I'm sure he was, I wouldn't say taken aback knowing Gary, but he was probably just like, who is this person again in in our woods over here? What what you doing? (laughs) Honestly, I feel like in that point of the season... Uh, the his expression probably had more to do with I don't know if other people are ready for this. Like <laughs> this is about to get embarrassing for everybody else. Here, let me see. I think I can share my screen. I think I could do that. There's got to be a way. It's 2023. <laughs> I know. I could. Nope, that doesn't do it. <laughs> Hey, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. 
Take a picture and text it. I'm going to take a picture, text it to you. And then in post, I'll add the picture to the okay. screen so everybody can see it. There you go. Oh my gosh, I do remember this picture. <laughs> the poor core guy behind me. And I'm just like, yeah. no, 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 no. Don't worry about him. <laughs> oh and then gosh, the next awesome. the next three shots were actually some mm -hmm. of my favorite ever of of competency swinging an axe. I'll send one of them. <laughs> but the ne the subsequent three shots to that one. Mm -hmm. or it's almost textbook. I'm at the bottom there too. Oh, that's making, it's making me miss how toned my arms were back then. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was one day. We were there one day. That's what matters. <laughs> For a fleeting moment. Those pictures are awesome. That's so great. Just the feeling of getting to swing on the bigger trees like that. It's an insane feeling. Yeah. As everybody in Bonfire knows. Like that's, that's what I live for. <laughs> yeah, you almost don't even did, had you ever done any work like that before? Um, not really. Uh, when I was growing up, I did, when it came to like outdoor type of work, um, I was really raising animals for FFA and I was doing some welding and stuff in shops, but I was never actually out doing like log splitting or anything like that or like cutting down trees. Not all of that was very new to me. Yeah. Um, but we're doing like, in like more hardworking, I guess, labor intensive type jobs. It wasn't, that wasn't new. I guess the concept wasn't new, if you right. will. Um, and I always really enjoy doing anything with my hands, any kind of shop work really with metal. But once we started getting over into bonfire and all that stuff, starting to actually do cutting and log splitting and stuff, that was a lot of fun, but not at all anything I had done before. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there's many people anymore who come out and go, yes, I have swung an axe until a tree has yeah. died. Like, <laughs> Definitely <don't>, not. <laughs> that's not normal. But I mean, to your point, though, the first time you start, I mean, if you, you've got an advantage, if you've played baseball or something and you know like that kind of you thing. But, kind of muscle memory. <laughs> yeah, but even them, you know, the first time that that axe goes in and something happens, you know, some chips come mm -hmm. out or something, mm -hmm. you just, it's just, oh man, you just don't want to stop. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You're getting to actually just hack at something that's like it's on purpose. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good kind of getting to hack something down. Good yeah. stress relief, just good endorphins. I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's something about that moment when you get to first start hitting on a log that uh, you don't get that anywhere else. I don't know. I, I, I haven't found it since that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and the, the there's the, the crunch, you know, there's, there's the repercussions 
literal repercussions of not hitting it right. And the, uh, mm-hmm. Right. But then there's the crunch of when it is right. And there's just this direct, immediate, positive reinforcement sort of mechanism where you build that muscle memory super fast because the consequences of getting it wrong are so cruddy. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, if you're lucky and, you know, the roulette wheel lands on you, you're the last one swinging when it goes. T- mm-hmm. Great oh. feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you also loaded too. So what was that like? Um, that was a lot of fun too. Again, just something that I saw people doing and I really was like, oh, I just want to go do that. Like, I want to be a part of it. Um, especially once I was getting into green pot and I'm like, okay, like I'm a green pot. I should be able to help all of the crews do anything. I am in upper leadership. That's kind of the job is supporting wherever you can. And we always seemed you would have the people up front for green pot, but then you would also have a couple people roving. We wouldn't just all be up front all the time. And so I felt like there wasn't a whole lot to do do um other than just be i guess like a almost like an outreach person if you will Mm. and be able to split or i guess connect the dots between the different crews going into the core woods and seeing what they do and also coming over to the non-reg woods and being able to do that too and then i just didn't i felt like it was it made sense to include load site in that as well and do what I could at load site. So at first it was just me wanting to go out there and help and see that part of bonfire. And then I just absolutely loved the feeling of getting a huge log that you see everybody struggling and you just jump on and you go to help and being able to have like that huge weight come off your shoulders, everybody's shoulders at the same time. It's, that's another really amazing feeling that, again, have not found <laughs> since doing that. Um, that or there's some kind of teamwork and camaraderie that comes with it that's unlike anything else you see in the woods. It's, yeah. it's a very special uh, yeah. thing to be part of. And once I kind of got my foot in, I didn't want to leave. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, and, and, and it's and you're right. There's It's got its own feelings. I know Walton is historically pretty proud of how crappy they are at cutting down trees. Um, but you know, one of the greatest loaders, well, most legendary loaders of all time, Jimmy Henderson, who was the first, he was the first truck out of Walton, I believe in any event, Walton became the load dorm when he was a junior. And mm-hmm. so everything from Walton ever since it's traced back to him going to Walton going, you're it now. And Mr. Load himself, he was like, I was actually really good. I preferred to cut. I was better at cutting. <laughs> so, you know, but ever since then, Walt was right. like, oh, we suck at cutting. We always have. It's just so different. But it has, you're right. I've never thought about that. It has that same like release moment, that same like, mm-hmm. boom, it's over. Now go do another yeah. one. But everybody gets to kind of experience it at the same time together. Right. Which, it- you don't get that in the woods. So yeah, it, it's, it's unique. Loadside is, is a special place. It's a cool I've place. never, I've never really thought of it like that. Yeah. Like in, with the woods, you're just, there's one person suffering at a time. Mm-hmm. Unless and, you, know, like you, you give them some motivation, you do your meows over in Luggett Woods and all that good stuff. But yeah, 
it's not the same. Yeah. And, and you can't like the nature of load. You can't do that because all of you are sucking eggs mm-hmm. under the same log at the same time. You know, you're, you're oh, focusing yeah. on your own breathing. You can't yell at somebody else. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Man, I've never thought about that now. And you mentioned you came from Leggett. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and another interesting twist, you weren't a chair. I was you not. were a motivated legged participant. Yes. Yeah, I was not a chair. And the thing is, is at the time with the greens, that was sort of kind of, that's the way things worked. The greens were coming from, there weren't many chairs in the mm-hmm. greens. I can't. And we kind of did that purposely, like upon becoming a green pot and kind of learning the history and, and how the lines worked and all that. Um, that was, that's on purpose. So the whole point of, of green pot and what I thought was actually really special once I actually became one was they're, they're looking for other motivated um, fish, piss heads, and sometimes juniors, depending um, but they're looking for the people that had, didn't have the chance to get picked up as a chair. So we specifically mm-hmm. know they also are mostly fish and you only pick that one piss head for the line mm-hmm. or at least the older style of green pot lines that we had. I know it's changed a little bit since then, but, um, we would pick three fish and one piss head. And so that one piss head was somebody who was super motivated and wasn't a chair, but still, showed the drive, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. and the motivation to continue being a big part of bonfire, uh, even when they didn't get that position. And then for the fish, we would basically go whenever we were looking for girls to pick up and we would talk to the current chiefs and chairs and we would say like, who aren't you going to pick or who Mm -hmm. is like right in the running behind becoming a chair. So we can still give those people who are motivated the opportunity to be a part of a leadership position in bonfire without taking people who are going intended to be used as a, as a chair or a chief. So it, that was all on purpose. Hmm. But. I didn't know that was, I, I mean, I'd, I'd heard somebody one time say something like that. I, hmm. I didn't know it was so deeply ingrained into the design at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of how we did it. That's yeah, and I mean, it's uh, I knew from the lines, but and how we ran it, yeah. And and there's there's actually I can, I can think of one dorm off the top of my head that has a line that's sort of like that. It's like somebody who hasn't got to do it yet, but they've been it was a coin toss for a couple years mm-hmm. in a row, and they just happened to not win the coin toss and they didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And then they get the chance to be a chief. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's something special that comes with that for sure. Um, I mean, I mean, as you know, now, now there's, they're not all former uh, chiefs and chairs, mm-hmm. but now there is that aspect to it where. Right. And, and honestly, one of the things that is still talked about is like, their motivation now it's now greens run the tractors basically like mm-hmm. I've heard. G- greens pulls the logs out <laughs> with the tractors. That's their awesome. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and when they, it's still a conversation piece where like when I told the greens, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to Sage. They're like, <gasps> you know, oh. 
Because because for them it was like, yes, this load shirt, this swing down on the biggest trees in the core woods. Like <laughs> she's why I'm getting to drive a tractor, you know. <laughs> Even though so, I didn't get to drive one. <laughs> I don't think they would have let anybody else drive a tractor that year after first cut when Zach. They were having sunk. way too many problems with tractors. <laughs> yeah. I think Zach ruined everybody else's chance to drive a tractor that year. Did you, um, did, so you, you remember the tractor uh-huh. and for everybody else's benefit, I, I probably have a picture of it, but I did get sort of in the mix of trying to figure it out. So I wasn't completely taking pictures, but this massive tractor sunk into the mud where the mud was starting to come in mm-hmm. to the floor. And this was a huge it's tractor. Bad. So bad. Awful. And Donnie and Sid are there just shoveling mud as fast as it's filling back in where they shoveled covered with mud and they're like pressed, beautiful, cleaned up for, I think it was first cut or maybe second, but they're in their blacks and, and covered with mud. And the boys are running around trying to pretend like they don't see that their seniors are covered with mud, trying to unfix this tractor. (laughs) And so, uh, years in a row that we had really muddy woods just yeah bad land that we were on <laughs> and that was not that was not the only mud problem that we were having <laughs> no no and that one was you know and part of what he wanted to do was get rid of those trees because that's where all the water was running so he figured if i get rid of those trees that'll fill up with water well mm-hmm. there you go but um <laughs> Yeah, Sid was like, Sid was like, I bet they're terrified. I'm filthy right now. I bet they're scared. I said, uh, you should tell them to go get you a red Gatorade. <laughs> tell them to get you, because he said, I'm thirsty. I was like, well, tell them to go get you a Gatorade. Tell them to get you a red Gatorade. Tell them it has to be cold. And then Donnie's like, tell him he has five minutes. <laughs> and so Sid's like, red Gatorade, cold, five minutes. And I have no idea how he did it, but he comes back with a frozen, like freezing cold red Gatorade in five minutes and how far out of town were we? I don't know where you got it from. Although I had the, there's a couple times where as green pot, I was having to stop and make sure to get different Gatorades and different stuff just to have, (laughs) just to be a little backup. You never know. (laughs) Helping out the juniors or. Oh yeah. Yeah. Try to. That's part of our job. Keep them safe. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's part of our job. <laughs> so maybe y'all did it. Maybe y'all fixed this situation for him. I actually don't. I actually don't think that we did. I don't. I don't yeah. think that we were involved in that one. But <laughs> it was miraculous. We were actually kind of a little impressed. Like, wow. <laughs> but yeah, that was God. That was that was a messy year because that was the path out. That. Mm-hmm. That mess that ate up that tractor, that was the path out. I think they had to like I redirect everything. They had to start redirecting people. Yeah. For yeah. going in and out of the woods and ended up, yeah, that was bad. That one. And then the other really bad piece of land that we had over where we had all the cedar trees on that Habit for Humanity piece of oh, land. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. That, that was bad. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. As muddy, luckily, there was a couple times where it got a little muddy, but just the trees there were terrible. 
Yeah, it was. Um, I don't think anybody was expecting. What part of that situation wasn't a mess? Because we're basically parking everybody in a residential neighborhood. Yes. And loading. <laughs> past houses to get to the area where we then walked into the into the woods, into the into the cut site. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then what was there was mostly small cedars and basically high ports. It, mm-hmm. it was a thicket of high ports. Mm-hmm. My allergies were going crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was what year was that was 2000. That was before I got picked 14. up. That's when I was a sophomore. So that would have been 2015. 20, was it 2015? 16. One of those. 2015. Let's see. Let's consult the photo record. It might have been 2015. <laughs> Maybe 2016. But yeah, no, they and they reached out like, hey, we got this land and it's wherever. And it seemed nice. And then they went and looked at it. And then they came back and they said, not to Habitat for Humanity. They just kind of let everybody know, like, we're not going to get a lot out of this. <laughs> Don't expect much. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be, let, let's prepare to do a little bit of extra work in the season because we're not, you know, but it was a good thing and it helped mm-hmm. and it did a good thing for the community. And, and that was a good thing. That's something right. I wish done a little bit more of was um i mean you'll you, those opportunities don't come up all the time but right. being able to have that opportunity it it was one of those things i remember thinking that it was really cool when i first heard about it and exactly how we were helping out habitat for humanity in that way and then when i got there and we started going through the actual cut season i was like mm. yeah mm. <laughs> you can always have that in your heart like I'm doing okay, a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know everybody was really proud of it, but I know that that pride was also coming with, Oh my gosh. I'm glad to be out of those woods. Okay. I'm sure that that neighborhood was glad to have us out of those woods. Oh, I'm sure. I can't imagine living there and having a whole bunch of college kids walking up and down the street and all the street parking that was involved. Our trucks coming out with logs, chainsaws, axes, Mm -hmm. 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday and a Sunday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, well, good things. So the, you becoming green, was that something that you ever like, you looked at and went, Hey, what's that? I think I like that. Or, Or how'd that happen? Um, I, I never really saw uh, whenever I didn't get picked up to be a chair, Mm -hmm. which even then I didn't really expect it because I started my freshman year. I was like halfway through the season was whenever I started doing bonfire my freshman year. Um, so I wasn't really expecting it picked up at a chair as a chair anyways. I was kind of hoping for it, but I didn't. Um, but I still like whenever I didn't get picked up, I I wasn't thinking of, of a next step of, I wasn't expecting anything else to kind of come my way. I just wanted to keep doing bonfire throughout uh, the rest of my time. 
but I wasn't expecting yeah, any kind of leadership position at that point. Um, I didn't know much about the green pots to be honest. And I wasn't really super close with any of what turned out to be my mom's until after I had been picked up. Um, so I, I do remember, uh, I believe it was Reagan because she didn't really know me and she didn't want to just like straight up ask and me say, no, I want to say, or there was some reasoning behind it. She actually had talked to Ashley who was my luggage chair and my best friend and my roommate. Um, and she had asked Ashley if she would come up to me and just see if green pot was anything that I might be considering or would like to say yes to and kind of felt me out, I guess, before she ever actually asked me. So I, it was not something I was expecting at all or looking into until that got brought up. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that's sort of the model for all of the positions, right? Like the -hmm. person who's thinking about you doesn't go, somebody else does. And then not only can they report back, they said they're interested, but they can also report back. Yeah. You sure? Because I (laughs) talked to them and they're crazy, you know, whatever. So it actually becomes like, you don't even realize it, but it's an interview. It's like a mini interview at the Mm -hmm. same time that they're trying to figure out, you know, if you're interested. Mm -hmm. So you come in as green. Did you have any, like, this is what I want to do. Or did you just let it take you like, just take you on a ride? Um, I just kind of let it take me Again, because I didn't really know a whole lot about the position of Green Pot and what their roles were or what they did um, behind the scenes as far as upper leadership went. And so it was very much just uh, Reagan told me exactly what my duties were as my for my line and my position and what I would take care of when it came to the administrative side of Bonfire. And I got that stuff ready. And that's all I kind of worried about until that first cut season. And then whenever cut season started for green pot year and we started having girls, like we would be two outside and two in the woods um, or two at the check-in and two at the woods. That's whenever I started realizing like, Oh, I get to kind of roam around and check stuff out. And that's, that's kind of where it almost fell into my lap a little bit, being able to just, go into other people's woods and see how their crews operate cut and their little um, traditions that they have with each other and get to partake and and see that um, and then get involved with load site. And as soon as that happened during cut season, I immediately, whenever load came around, I was, or whenever um, build came around, I wanted to do everything at stack site. I was like, you know what? Like I got to do everything at, and cut and I'm going to stick with that. And I want to try and do as much as I can at stack site and seeing how hard it was for the reds and browns to do everything on their own. Like it's a lot and there's not a lot of them. Um, and they have a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes. And one thing that we were all passed down as green pots was your job is to just be there for anything. The reds or browns need as an auxiliary person around. 
And I was like, okay, well, that means anything, like not just administratively, I should be able to help them with anything that they need. So I need to learn all the different parts and be able to, in a pinch, if they need somebody to do something really quick, they don't have to sit there and tell me what to do. They can just tell me like, hey, I need help with this and I can just go do it for them. Right. So that was kind of the attitude I had at that point. And I think that's kind of what allowed me to be able to, to do all those different roles that I was able to get into. Yeah. Which again, it's carried forward where, um, you know, greens now pretty much run the swings. You have to fight a green to get in a swing. Which is so yeah. exciting. That was, that was my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Being in the swing was my favorite part. <laughs> so, uh, what, what was it about the swing? So again, just kind of like with load side, it's a very niche specific thing that you get to do. And there's not a lot of people that get to do it. So being able to be a part of that, like trusted circle, I guess, if you will, of wires that at the time, green pots didn't get to do that. Right. And so to be able to like put my foot in there and to start doing that, it reminded me a lot of some of the shop work that I used to do when I was growing up and being in the welding shop and, and getting to work also like with my livestock and working with fencing like at my ranch with my parents, like that was more towards what I grew up doing when it came to like little tasks. And I just absolutely fell in love with that niche part of stack that not everybody got to experience. And just the, I don't know, there, there's a feeling of power and, uh, uh, accomplishment that you get when all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of just logs coming up and then one huge freaking log is about to come onto stack and you're just sitting there waiting in the swing, like getting yourself ready. And as soon as it comes up, just getting to like get on top of that and just push it into stack. That's, I don't know. This is this powerful feeling that uh, I haven't found anywhere else in bonfire even. Um, so that, that was really cool. Especially for a small person like me with little legs, it was, I don't know, huge accomplishment for me to be able to do some of that. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it demands, it demands a certain amount of energy of actual physical energy. And the math is that if you're a smaller person, then like you're really having to actively your whole body just yeah. having to hold that log into stack. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it is the last act of a log mm-hmm. outside of burning. It is the last act of a log that is required so much action up to that point. And that's it. It's over mm-hmm. for that log after that. Oh yeah. You're getting to, you're getting hands on the actual building of stack like you are physically with your hands touching and building stack because it's one thing to bring logs up there and all that stuff and bring things into perimeter but actually being in perimeter and getting your hands on it and wiring a log in like you are you are actually building bonfire and it's uh, it's a really really cool feeling (laughs) yeah yeah what was your favorite time to be in the swing uh whenever it's bigger logs for sure. Anytime yeah. bigger log was coming in, that was my favorite. Um, I also really liked whenever I, I was only on the ground. I wasn't in the swing for it, but whenever they did a speed stack. 
TurboStack. Yeah. TurboStack. There you go. Yeah. Whenever they did TurboStack, um, being on the ground for that was super fun. In order to to be in the swing would have been really cool, but I never got in the swing for a TurboStack. But yeah, yeah. Um, and and th- that's something else I got to hunt down too is the invention of TurboStack because it wasn't always a thing. And then it became a thing. And that's that's something somebody's told me once or twice, I'm sure. But the, this idea of TurboStack, it's now just so ubiquitous. But I was oh, talking yeah. to a dad from the 80s where I was like, yeah, they're doing TurboStack tonight. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. But were you? did you ever catch a sunrise from the swings? Not from the swing. But never from Stack? Sunrise from the swing. Mm-mm. I have out at stack site, but yeah, not from up top. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes if you don't pull an all night shift, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Honestly, I might've been stack, but, uh, I had to, I had a crippling fear of heights. So really? Yeah. I I've also never, have a little bit of a fear of heights, which is yeah. hilarious for the job that I've had for the last five years. But <laughs> yeah, that is that is uh, noteworthy. So let's let's talk about that. What is the job you have had for the past five years? Um. Okay. So after graduating, actually, while I was still in, I was a junior. It was during my green pot year. Whenever I was already talking to a recruiter, and I decided I wanted to go into the Navy. Um, and because my packet was already in and everything was accepted, as soon as I graduated two months later, I was at officer candidate school. Um, so I started right away and I went into naval aviation and I went through flight school, which took forever to get through. It's ridiculous right now. That's a whole nother story. Um, and I ended up flying Romeo's. Uh, MH-60 Romeos. So it's a helicopter that the Navy has. And I've been flying that for about two years now. Wow. So, all right. I want to explore this more. but And I think I told you that I was going to ask this question. Mm-hmm. But, and I hope I hope this doesn't ruin anything for anybody. But then maybe, then again, maybe it's true. Okay. So the legend that everybody has heard is that Sage was just a little bit below the height. Uh-huh. And so the legend is that Sage hung from a pull-up bar <laughs> until she made height. That's we'll the story. Um, actually my arms are what was too short. My height was fine. My arms are too short. (laughs) So there's truth in it. Oh, a hundred percent. I, so I was at officer candidate school. Uh, whenever you, you go to OCS, you come in already knowing what job you're going to have. So I was already picked up as a pilot. Um, but they don't do their final, um, anthro measurements until you're at OCS and it's like halfway through. So I'm halfway through 12 weeks of suck. And I go in for my appointment to get 
my leg length measured, my height, my arm length, my sitting height, everything measured. And the one thing that didn't pass was my arms were just too short for all of aviation. And they told me I have to figure out what my new job's going to be halfway through. They were like, you can't be a pilot anymore, so you got to pick something else. And it took like a week, a week and a half for the doctor to get back to me. And he, from anything that he had ever heard of, he had never seen another person get a remeasure before. Uh But they had just changed some of the requirements and some of the ways that they were measuring people for anthro. So he decided from talking to his colleagues or the NAMI gods or whoever it is that owns that program, um, they decided to award me a remeasure. And I just barely made it the second time. And that's how I ended up being able to stay a pilot and continue on in the flight program. Um, But I'm not going to say I didn't while I was in the barracks hang from a door frame or two <laughs> right before going just to kind of help out. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. <laughs> I'm so glad that's true. And it's it actually bit me in the butt though, a couple of times because this aircraft, the Romeo, I don't have much problem with reaching things, but uh-huh. the very first aircraft that I flew in training was the, um, the T six. Uh-huh. And I, it took some momentum to get the landing gear down a couple times. So. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they oh weren't kidding when my arms are a little too short. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. But see, it's safe to say now. It, it's mm-hmm. safe to say now, uh, because as we talked about before, you know, now you can be like, oh, yeah. okay, I did it. Yeah. But- and whenever you told me, you mentioned you wanted to ask about the monkey bars and I had no idea what you were talking about. I immediately started talking to some bonfire buddies just to see, I don't know, what could have happened in college with monkey bars. Because I thought maybe it was a story from bonfire times. And I was like, I don't remember anything that's even related to monkey bars. So I'm, it makes sense now. <laughs> yes, that's what it was. That's, that's so outstanding. Because I even, when I was talking to Sue today, uh, Nathaniel, who um, brown pot from... He was a fish in my senior fire. So many years ago, and we haven't talked to each other in a long time. Like, you know, had a conversation. This was so great to see him. And we're just catching up. And one of the things that I was telling him, I was really excited about. was like, Hey, I'm going to talk to Sage and I'm going to ask her about get this. And I told him and he's like, no way. (laughs) Definitely some truth to that. (laughs) Yeah. He said, that's so rad ass. Only a bonfire person would do that. Hell yeah. (laughs) When you want something, you go after it. <laughs> That's so exactly right. When I when I heard that, and they might have said that it was the arm length, but um, when I heard that, at first I was like, okay, like sometimes when myths, you know, aren't true, it's still okay because the fact that it's halfway believable says something about the person that the myth is about. And I'm okay with that. But I really was like, I I need to know for sure, you know, sort of a Santa Claus thing. I need to know for sure. And I'll probably, I'll probably be sad, but 
there were a couple myths that I, I talked to Nathaniel about from our time, you know, legends mm-hmm. that had grown in my mind. It's I'm getting the double whammy today because he confirmed some things that really? today. And, so I'm just, this is a great day for me. The things are true. <laughs> Everything's turning out. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's when Scott was here writing the ESPN article, I, I had told him like, you're going to hear some stories and they're going to be crazy. And I, totally endorse your talking to somebody else after I tell you some crazy nonsense. I totally endorse that because I don't know. I, I might remember it, right? Maybe. But you're gonna, yeah. Know. It's not on purpose. I'm just, you know, but I said, you're going to find that the things that sound the least likely are the truest things. If it sounds normal, we're probably embellishing it. So it's not as weird as it was. Right. Just so it sounds a little bit cooler. <laughs> yeah. Make it attainable. Like people think that they, none of this that you're saying is possible. So you got to like dumb it down and make it less than what it was for somebody to go, okay, now it's impressive. Cause now I believe it happened. Right. <laughs> so to, moving on past where <laughs> you put yourself in a jet with things a little bit farther away than they should have been. Now it's a helicopter. Now it's okay because you are, there's changes. So what are you doing now? Yes. So um, I've been flying at my fleet squadron, um, the Romeo, and I've gotten to a point where I kind of want to move on from aviation into a new community um, for a multitude of reasons. But one big thing is the community I'm interested in is oceanography and meteorology. Um, and kind of the work that they get to do supporting aviation on the weather side of the house, but also in, um, anti-submarine warfare type stuff and the way that they get to really utilize physical oceanography, um, and as well as meteorology to help make some decisions for the surface fleet, I think is, uh, really neat. Um, and it's, was my major, my major is ocean engineering. And I fell in love with all of the work that I got to do with that while I was in college. And I wanted to, to keep that up. And that's something that I want to do after. So uh, I decided to go ahead and switch communities. And I just found out last week that I was accepted into the oceanography community. So I don't know when that's going to happen or when I'm going to move over to that, but I've got some schooling to go through. Um, Instead of the aviation community, I have to go through the Intel warfare community to get over to that side of the house. So there's going to be some big, big things happening ahead and a whole new journey starting with that. That's outstanding. That's so cool. And as you were describing that, I remembered that Bonfire has some experience with that. We had, and he might have been doing this going back to 2016, with some of the weather things that were impacting, or it might have been something like the messes of 2016 that made us try to figure this out. But there's a Dr. Neil Sanger with uh, oceanography. I think he's still with the oceanography department, but he was, you know, retired military. And he did forecasts just for Bonfire, you know, as he was starting up a business that does forecasting. But what he had done was what you're talking about was mm-hmm. this oceanography. Always to say, like, the it is fascinating. The And you don't really even think about it but how critically important oceanography and meteorology is if you've got these 
resources deployed all over the world. If Mm -hmm. you don't account for meteorology, you might think that you have things that are available in a place that are suddenly not available Mm -hmm. because they can't get to it or they got to go around or whatever. And Mm -hmm. the whole world will know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really (laughs) understated. Once you think about it and go, Oh no, like the weather can change the world. It mm-hmm. it's huge. Well, also, like the whole point is you're sending out um, these resources, these assets to either project or in the very worst case scenario one day. And what we'll train for is if we are ever at war, they're trying to go out and they're trying to get the enemy. They can't fight the enemy if they're also fighting the weather. Right. So um, they have to know how to use it to their advantage. And they have to know how to be able to maneuver around it as necessary. And also just logistically, how to have the resources, the fuel on board and which stops they have to make where to be able to go around certain things. And so the, the predictions that you get and one thing I found in aviation weather and specifically um, that is definitely Navy wide is the forecasting that you get when it comes to aviation weather is just so much more accurate than an average um, kind of forecast that you find anywhere else. So little plug, highly recommend looking up aviation weather sources, just like if you ever want to look at weather on on an everyday basis, because they're going to have some of the most accurate hour by hour forecasts because they have to. Right. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Dr. Sanger was, that, that was his value proposition. All these people, oil field, industry, agriculture, whatever, Like there's a, there's a different level of weather than what everybody else thinks the weather is. And Mm -hmm. if if you know how to deal with it and everything, it's yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so cool. I'm so excited about that for you. I mean, like weather as it is, just go look at some spaghetti models, right. And try to Mm -hmm. untangle that. That's hard. (laughs) And that's other people doing hard work that results in a, a and a product soup. that yeah. you should be able to. Yeah. And even like the thing where they're like, here's some attainable information. You're like, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. So there's that. But then on top of that, adding the logistics part of it as well. Like you can't, it's just not enough to go. I figured it out. I know what the weather is. Now mm-hmm. you have to like, okay, now apply that to this moving jigsaw puzzle of multi-trillion dollar instruments mm-hmm. all over the world. And go tell a captain or a rear admiral, like, hey, your boat can't go over there. It's got to go over here because I see this coming up in this area. So, yeah, you get to be in a pretty high advisory role depending on where you're at, too, which is a pretty cool experience. But on the physical oceanography side of the house, I will say, because the weather is really great. And and I kind of wanted to touch on the oceanography side, too, just because when it comes to, like, anti-submarine warfare, that's... Mm -hmm. The 60 Romeo, that's their bread and butter. And that's Hmm. what I've been training for um, as an ASW platform. Uh, And we have an onboard dipping sonar where we get to actually try and prosecute submarines. And um, the cool thing that I've seen that the Navy has their oceanography officers specifically work on is being able to use just the topography of the ocean floor. And subs are 
pros at it. And so you come to these air assets that do ASW work or surface assets that do, and they look to the ocean O's to be the pros at it as well on the same level of the submariners, because those uh, submariners, they know exactly which little mount, sea mount to hide behind. They go into the current whenever it pops up, they know exactly when it's going to pop up and they turn their engines off and they just coast in the current. So you can't find them. Like there's all kinds of stuff they can do. And it's really cool uh, to get to be a part of becoming a professional at that and being able to, I don't know, exploit those uh, parts of oceanography to be able to make us the, the pros at it over the enemy. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's outstanding. Of course, I mean, I totally fixated on weather because I am a simple man and that confuses me enough. <laughs> You're talking about underwater weather. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. It's got its own wind made of water. <laughs> yeah, you can think of it that way. <laughs> that's why well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm motivated for you. That's, that's some good stuff. Now, what, has there been anything so far that you've gotten to do that that you have been able to apply something that you learned at Bonfire that, that's added to your ability to to execute against your challenges? I would say in general, um, one thing that I kind of already had a little bit of, but it wasn't until Bonfire that I like really got into it was just not being afraid to try all these different roles. Bonfire is a very unique organization where you can put your foot in pretty much anywhere and you can see a whole bunch of different um, roles and ways of um, getting work done, if you will. And being comfortable, I guess, to reach out um, into these little intricacies of, um, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. It's like bonfire made me so comfortable of just sticking my foot in the door wherever I needed to. And being able to just say like, I see somebody doing something and I know that I can help with it. Or I see somebody doing something that I know I can help make better. And I got that huge confidence boost through Bonfire to be able to be like, I'm going to be the one to do that. Like once I see something, I'm going to go immediately take part in it. Um, and I'm not going to say Bonfire turned me into workaholic. I think that was kind of already there, but it definitely pushed me to continue being a very hardworking and like keeping that drive, I guess, always in my mind. Um, and another thing that it really taught me on the green pot side of the house is the logistics and the management side of it. I never really had a role before. That was the first time that I got to manage people and actually administratively learn some of those tasks and tools that I didn't have before. And that I've really used, especially when working in a squadron, when you have the operations and the training departments trying to figure out logistically how to get deployments and um, air crew out the door uh, and get them out on ships where they need to be and get them ready and trained up specifically for those missions. That's something that I definitely attribute a lot of the tasks and tools that I got from being a green pot to that. Um, 
And then in general, just the feeling of accomplishment when you see people having, specifically at load site, when you see people um, doing something together and just needing an extra hand and just being able to jump in and immediately help with that and, and have that like teamwork camaraderie, like I brought up before aspect of, of shedding a problem off and be able to get something like that done. Um, that's something that I continuously try to find everywhere that I go, uh, whenever I'm working with any kind of team, um, on the Navy side and also, uh, in the civilian side, just in whichever way I can. Um, but those are probably like the main things. I think that bonfire is kind of that's stuck with me from bonfire. Yeah. Now, did you ever, did you ever notice while you were doing those things that what you were doing beyond being like a simple piece of arithmetic, they need, they need an extra 40 pounds worth of lift and you give it. Did you ever notice that what you were doing was changing the way other people were doing what they were doing? No, not, not particularly. I don't Hmm. know what you mean. (laughs) Like when you come in and you start executing against something with high competency and motivation, you didn't notice the people around you going, all right, well, I guess I better, I better button up, work a little bit harder. I don't know. I always felt like, I always felt like that person, I guess. Um, that was like, oh, I see these other people doing things. Like I, I better step up and, and help and do something as well. Like I need to go in and do something. I don't, I don't know that I ever noticed anybody else doing that after the fact. I feel like that was uh, that was me. I don't know. That is fascinating. I wasn't really to that. <laughs> that is fascinating to me. Maybe it's because I had the luxury of just walking around and not, you know, there's mm-hmm. not much that I have to get into, you know, unless it's a tractor that's sinking into a hole in the ground. And, <laughs> and then it's like, maybe. okay, it's time to step in. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's just because I could observe, but that's something I definitely noticed. Like the, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but one of the things that I really felt like was interesting about watching your experience was just how you would come in and then in your wake would be people who were like better. They're just better because they saw what you did and went, well, I guess I could do that too. Cause I was eating a bologna sandwich sitting on my butt <laughs> drinking tang. And then I got up and worked and I realized I didn't need to eat that sandwich. I could have been working instead. Like, and that just your little travels through the woods. So you just left a wake of people who were, and I'm really surprised. I, I honestly, I'm surprised, but not surprised that you did not know that. <laughs> I Honestly, can't say that I noticed it. Um, yeah, I don't know. That kind of it does lead me to another thing about bonfire, though. Just leadership in general, because that that just the way that you said that it kind of like makes me think of leadership. But um, 
one thing I learned a lot of in Bonfire was uh, situational leadership, which mm -hmm. is kind of a topic that I knew in high school. You learn about different types of leadership, but uh, never have I seen an organization so well um, have situational leadership sometimes mm -hmm. um, or at, when, when they need it. Um, because you have all different kinds of people from all over the world. I mean, you, it's college, right? So this is the first time that a lot of these kids have ever met um, people that maybe didn't grow up in the same place that they grew up. And they all come from different experiences. And to get that amount of, of college kids to be focused on one specific goal, the situational leadership that comes in and that you learn, especially as a part of upper leadership, but also as a part of honestly, even more so as a chief or a chair, when you're directly having those crews underneath you, um, learning how to tailor your leadership skills for different people and to accommodate different types of personalities and experiences in order to get everybody on the same page. Like that, that is something that Bonfire excels at as an organization. And that's a type of leadership that I think, uh, anybody coming out of Bonfire um, really is able to get a grasp on. Um, and that's something that I've also taken away from the bonfire experience. Just something I thought of whenever you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm glad I could get you to admit it. You're, you're still not admitting that you're one of those people, but we're getting there. Yeah. I, and you know, um, Nathaniel and I talked about that today a little bit too. In fact, like, um, there's, there, there is that, I don't know how to oversimplify it maybe, but like there's the followership is leadership, you know, mm -hmm. like you don't have to be the one going in and going, this is what we're doing. If something's being done and you show up and there's room for you to do something and then you do it, you're leading. And right. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's, it has this weird way of elevating the people who don't necessarily have a title, right? You are still a leader if you behave with purpose and execute against challenges that that's leadership. Yeah. And then it also has a way of moderating what a title would do to, you know, it, a title can make you think you're doing something extraordinary Right. But understanding that really, no, I mean, everybody who's out here acting and doing they're leaders, too. So it has a way of kind of equalizing everybody like you have a role. Everybody has a role. Your role happens to wear this color pot and have this name. But ultimately, it's just about doing and right. everybody's yeah. got to do. That's definitely um I feel like I had a lot of that my sophomore year after not being picked up as a chair, but also just wanting to be a huge part of Bonfire and a part of my crew is just, um, and just me as a person. If I see something that I want to do, or if I see somebody needing help or support, I immediately just, I feel compelled to, to follow that and to do that. And I didn't really, it, it's nice to know that that kind of uh, encouraged others to do the same. Um, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. Um, uh, but that, I mean, that's definition of lead by example. And like you said, by followership, as far as, um, just being there to support others and encouraging others to do the same when they see you do it, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, and again, like there's just lots of people in your position having, um, you know, gone on from bonfire to service, uh, specifically military service. You'll hear them a lot go like, I, even if they were in the core, like, I don't know. It was bonfire. It was bonfire where I learned this, that, and the other thing, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's pretty special. It's, it's a non-reg thing. It's a core thing. It's an everybody thing at a public institution in Texas that is non-exclusionary. Like get the grades you can get in. This isn't, you know, mm-hmm. it, they're not handpicking. All right, this person, whatever. And yet, all these disparate people, like you said, coming from all over the place, if they get into this funnel, they're coming out the other side, something pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, you know, Bonfire also teaches you that it is, you get out of it what you put into it, you know? Yeah. So when you go out there and you just grind and grind and you do as much as you possibly can and you put yourself all in on it. Like you definitely reap the benefits. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 And I don't think there's anybody who's ever like, and I try to tell, especially, you know, Walton at their first meeting every year, you know, I try to tell them like, you're going to get out of this when you put into it and you just, you don't, you don't get it. You do not understand. Doesn't matter how many times some chucklehead like me tells you not until it's over. Do you go, Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what you meant. 20 year olds, man, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hell, if I just showed up now, I still wouldn't believe it. If I take myself out, forget everything that I ever knew about this thing and showed up and somebody was like, hey, this is going to. No, it's not. What are you talking yeah. about? No you're, way. <laughs> you're burning stuff. What What could you possibly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the reactions I get if I ever mention it to people around work now and I'm like, Oh, this is what I did in college. And they're like, you did what you stacked treats. You what? And I'm like, Oh no, way more than that. And I go back on all the pictures and I'm like, this is what we did here. And this is what we did here. And this is why. And yeah, there's, there's so much to it. So much more to it than anybody really realizes in that more to it than you even realize when you're a part of it. It's not until after, like you said, that you, it really sinks in everything that you were able to accomplish and what you learned from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it now for me? Like 20 years, four, four years, not even paying. Cause I'm like everybody else. I'm not paying any, I'm just job, get the job. What's the next job? Do that job. And then all the jobs are over and then you decompress for a little bit. And then you start thinking about those jobs and you're like, I can't believe that's the job that we did. But now I get to like hang around it all the time and watch other people. And so now I I just get to spend a lot of time just going, why, why, why is this, why is this working? You know, why is somebody getting from here to here from doing that? So, mm-hmm. you know, all I wish to say, it's been 20 years and I'm still going, oh, that's why that works. Mm-hmm. This wild. This is together. <laughs> and honestly, Sage, it's like it's P 
people like you over the years that like change my understanding of what works or help me see something that I thought was just magic. And then I see, you know, somebody just make it clear. And then I go, Oh, that's why that works. That's why some people learn that that's, that's why these other people are doing because they learned from you and whatever. So I was, I was really motivated to have this conversation with you because you are one of those people who really helped me understand a whole lot just from your journey through bonfire. So Thank you very much, Sage. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like at this point, we're into stuff that I'm is not going to be out unless you say something really fucking incredible and then I'll like edit it in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's fair. <laughs>